0: This podcast is brought to you by Rode Microphones, providing premium audio products at an accessible price, enabling people from around the world to achieve their creative goals. With mics for studio, video recording, and podcasting, you're bound to find the mic you need. To find out more, visit Rode.com.
1: Welcome back everybody for our final mix editorial panel of the day. Every year we will definitely do an editing and a mixing panel and then we, we go through and figure out what else we want to do. Uh, three years it was about the immersive playback and the immersive formats and it was all still new. Well there's rooms going up all over this town anyway right now. Um, and certainly there's uh, Westlake Pro uh, designs, integrates, sells and does a lot of them. Um, The one thing we've noticed over the years and when we started talking about the topic is it's no longer the size of this to do immersive. You don't need to be in the Lancaster anymore. Um, It certainly helps to be in the Lancaster, but you have a small, medium, and large, and so we've put together a panel that addresses those very topics in the immersive format. So I will let Jonathan Deans, the Chief Technology Officer at Westlake Pro in L.A., take it away, Jonathan. Thank you.
2: Thanks. So uh, first, thank you to our our hosts, Sony and and Mix, um, for putting this all together. Um, So again, this panel is really focused on illuminating the process and considerations involved in building immersive sound production spaces. So to start with, uh, I'd like our panelists to briefly introduce themselves, starting with
3: Jerry. Um, I'm Jerry Steckling. Uh, I operate a company named JSX Audio and we design and build recording studios and posting spaces, sometimes live venues. Uh, some of those live venues are multi-channel mixes, which is new for, for uh, those uh, kinds of venues. Um, my history is a recording engineer for many years. Uh, I was head of acoustics at uh, Skywalker Sound for many years. Uh, Literally touched all of their sound systems there uh, and the acoustics and the new builds that went on during my tenure there. And since uh, the JSX Audio Company was born after that and uh, we've done a lot of participating work with Westlake Pros customers. We design and, and consult on many of those. Uh, so there's a great cooperation, Jonathan and I uh, have to work with these, uh, the integration and the acoustics and making way for each. Sometimes there's some uh, back and forth with that, but uh, you know, compromises with uh, the technology that has to go in and what it sounds like after we're finished. Great. Thanks, Jerry. And uh,
4: Mark? How you doing? Thanks for all coming. I'm shocked that there's so many sound crazies out there. Um, My name is Mark Binder, and I make noise. Uh, I do it for a living. I'm a sound supervisor, sound mixer, workflow specialist, whatever you want to call it. I just make noise, like everybody else here, all of you. And I'm also uh, crazy enough to build a facility, Um, and that is me. And my company is IMN Creative. And there you go. Thanks. Thomas.
5: I'm Tom Brewer. Um, I'm a re-recording mixer, doing a lot of short form trailers, uh, shorts, that sort of thing. Um, Doing a lot of work at uh, Dolby, Warner Brothers, Lionsgate, and spending a lot of time with the new Atmos and and, uh,
6: VR uh, mixing. Great. Brett? I'm kind of the odd man out. I'm Brett Crockett. Um, I'm the head of sound R&D at Dolby Laboratories, and so I'm partly responsible for people building immersive listening rooms around the world. My job is to make the technology easier to use as time goes on and bring it to as many um, sound mixers, and studios, and cinemas, and consumers with um, home products. So I'm glad to be here. Great, thanks and Bill.
7: Hi, I'm Bill Johnston. I'm the VP of Engineering at Formosa Group. Uh, I got my start in this town in some of the smaller facilities, Signet Sound and EFX Systems when it was just a little place over on Victory Boulevard and uh, since then have worked with uh, Todd AO Sound Deluxe through CSS Studios and uh, now uh, building rooms and running engineering at Formosa Group. Um, had the opportunity over the years to work in some of the smallest, littlest rooms to some of the larger rooms in town. Had the opportunity to watch a few of them get knocked down too, but that's okay. Um, and um, we're um, looking forward to this panel and hearing what people have to say.
0: Great,
8: and Nathan? Hi, I'm Nate uh, Oishi, and I uh, manage the engineering group here at uh, Sony Post Business Facility. Um, I've been here for 18 years, and um, I, I hope you guys have uh, had a chance to walk around and look at uh, our facilities but uh, we're building new things here and um, maintaining the facilities that we do have and um, yeah I enjoy the job and uh, I'm having fun um, uh, pushing into a new territory with the immersive uh, rooms that we're building thanks Peter I'm Peter Chaikin I'm director of recording solutions for
9: Harman International Harman is the parent company of JBL professional crown audio make power amplifiers Soundcraft Studer uh, DBX Lexicon, BSS. I'm sure I'm forgetting a few. AKG, microphones, headphones. <laughs> uh, but the the key point is um, <laughs> specifically uh, JBL has had a very strong presence in the cinema area for a long time, and um, a few years ago we recognized the opportunity for a solution for people to be able to do immersive audio in any size room, and that there really wasn't a solution. So in the last few years, and actually you can see it here, we, we focused on a system specifically for immersive audio production in any size room as a scalable solution. Um, and we're bringing some different technologies to bear to make it happen. There are some real challenges, uh, and so it's it's really, it's really great to be at this point in time where we actually have a solution that you can adopt and uh, get to work. Thanks.
2: All right, thank you. So yeah, as you can see, we have a lot of diverse perspectives on the panel today. Um, we've structured this panel into sort of two segments, which will be followed by a Q&A. Um, the first segment will focus on room and monitoring concerns and immersive sound. Uh, With uh, the second segment focusing on system design integration and general signal flow concerns Uh, So to delve into the room side of things uh, And we'll start with Jerry. What do each of you see as the first steps in considering designing an immersive mixing room from an acoustics and monitoring standpoint Um, if you're an engineer or owner what elements were critical in initiating your project and if you're on the design or manufacturing side of things how do you determine the requirements um, or goals of the project so
3: jerry part <clears throat> this topic is uh, how to make these decisions from large to small rooms especially that's the headline in the topic here and um, Translation between small room and large room has been an age-old problem uh, or concern. Um, we do our best to make the products workable in small rooms for the large stage and vice versa. Large stage, uh, sometimes the uh, the Blu-ray mix is coming out of the large stage. So um, the translation back and forth with immersive sound, I don't believe that has changed very much at all. You do want to consider um, scaling the power bandwidth of the loudspeakers. Many times in, in cinema, we've depended upon the fact that we've got a JBL speaker in the wall, so even in the small room, we're gonna have the same JBL speaker in the wall, and that will translate help us translate. Um. Uh,
2: not to, not to cut you off, I'm curious to get Mark's perspective on this as well, because you two you know, recently worked on uh, plans for his facility, which just came online. So how, how was the process sort of um, from your end?
4: From my end? Yeah. Um, well, here's the deal, plain and simple. Um, I'm a mere mortal. I bleed blood like probably all of you here, um, unless there's some vampires in the audience um this immersive audio stuff call it what you will um it's the advancement of our art form it's a place that we're not thinking of going to and and if all of you are sitting here thinking thinking that you're thinking of this boat is going this wave is going to crest and my advice to everybody not just because i put my money where my mouth is this is where we're going. This is the new art form. This, I, it can go under the disguise of VR or AR. I like to put it under the whole term immersiveness. So when we really start talking about what we have done to this point and playing to the 2D pictures, and we're you know figuring, well, I need this size room to do this. I mean, look, I've been. I this is now turning into the wild wild west. Um, the functionality of a room is, you know, I I hope this doesn't really turn into a a tech talk. Whoops, and there goes my wallet. What's new? Don't build a studio, that's what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, What I'm hoping, this this, this talk hopefully comes into more of a philosophical talk about why we're doing this and what's Mm -hmm. driving us. So I mean the te- the the technical aspect of yes I own four Dolby Atmos rooms. I built four Dolby Atmos rooms with this man here and, and with the help of uh Dolby being awesome and and at least with the philo- with the with the blueprints which is all online you can go and download and figure out you know the geometry it's not that difficult. Um, uh, but there are things to do, physical things to do when you're looking at rooms of saying the height of the ceiling and, and the size and the kind of power requirements. But I, I think that we can't sit and think that there's one solution for all. I, I, I used to do this little show called uh, Community for NBC. And I, I would call part of my, my beginning of my business, and I'll wrap this up quick, was basically developing sound rooms, sound mixing rooms, in places that you wouldn't necessarily think, think it being done. Um, where there's a will, there's a way. Where there's something that we call translation, or relatively it sounds like, because you know just by pure physics, science, it's nothing's gonna sound the same. So let's be honest with ourselves that it's like the old music days back in my time, when I was doing music, you never, you sat in the mix room, you would mix something, you'd play it out of the NS10s, you put it on the big boys, you put it on the midfields, you'd take it out to your car. I mean, this is, I hope that we start thinking about maybe where we all came from, maybe from the music side, and just kind of start digging in and saying, hey, translation is about how much time you have behind that board or behind that computer system of making your noise. Plain and simple. There is no easy answer, there is no... Fast answer, it's just simple. Remember what you do and 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 in your heart and your mind and soul, go with it. Because I think I'm sure there are plenty enough incredible ears in this audience, let alone all these guys here, that um you know definitely can make a difference for our how big were your
6: atmosphere? You built
4: five? I built four. Four, how big are you? just don't tell my wife I built four <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're smaller than this. Uh, one is approximately uh, f- near 1,400 square feet. Um, and the smallest one goes, I believe, it's 18 feet by 13.
2: And the channel counts for the rooms in terms of speakers?
4: A lot. A lot. What 18, 13? How many, your is in um, there? It's a, it, it's a, a 741. Okay. It is. I mean, it's 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 consumer atmos. I mean, it's 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 immersive, and 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 that's the thing we all have to realize. It's like it's one thing. Yeah, we all want to we all want to mix, and I don't want to hog the time here, but Mm -hmm. please, we all want to mix for the for the ultimate pyramid. We all want to be in the land. We all want to be in these big rooms. And yes, it's it's yah yah fun throwing up the faders and letting this this room or these other rooms haul. The reality is, our the demographic who's li- listening to our material, is all about this kids, boys and girls and all that. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 you know, the theater does exist. The home theater absolutely is real and these things are real. And it's, and it's more about the metho- metho- methodology of how do we get it to here and making it sound awesome and also making it sound awesome in here. And I guess that's what we're well, gonna be
3: talking about. In days past, we had uh, a typical cinema theater to mix toward. And so that's where I left off. It was a particular JBL speaker was probably in that exhibition theater. So we used to have that in the the mix theater so that we could uh, appreciate at least the speaker system portion of the translation. And nowadays, and we can expect this with immersive sound as well, where is the target? Is it a large theater with 48 surround speakers? Is it uh, eventually gonna be a home play which th- with well, four I, overheads, I think that that et cetera?
7: Just, I think that becomes a real issue for a lot of the people here, is when you're building a room and you're scaling these rooms from an edit room all the way up to a dub stage, you do start to hit, uh, sure, in your smaller room, it's obvious you have to go with a consumer format. In your larger stage, it's obviously gonna be theatrical, Um, Atmos, you start to get into, when you get into a lot of the meat work in the middle of the market here, where you're doing television, maybe some features, maybe some um, home theater mastering, you might be doing anything in your room, then your design process does become somewhat difficult in that you have to start placing your speakers in certain ways in order to be able to handle both the consumer format and the theatrical format. And that is something that you do have to then take a step back and realize, well, if i am got a 30-foot room and I'm really going to do, you know, I'm even going to mix television in a theatrical Atmos format and then master it down later to home theater standards, where am I putting my speakers? Because once I go to a home theater format, I have to choose a point source here and a point source 15 feet back in my room and, and there. And you might have to make some different decisions on what speakers you're choosing, what kind of power handling you're having, and the placement of those speakers in the room. Mm-hmm. I would guess the room size would dictate that as well. To a degree, but you have some decisions to make. It's not it's not as cookie cutter as it might be. No, you know, and that's and that's why having discussions with Dolby, I mean we're in the process of putting some rooms together right now. And, you know, it's an everyday thing. It's like a, you send them something and say, this seems ideal to me, and they're like, well, perhaps you should consider this instead, and it's a little bit of a give and take, and it's it's not as much, you, you just look at a room and go, it's, it's super obvious.
2: So, Brett, that raises kind of a good good point, both on the, you know, sort of certification side of things on Dolby's perspective. I'm also curious, you know, how you guys sort of approach Dealing with legacy content, and obviously, you know, a lot of the time the rooms will be booked for the Atmos side of things. But how do you? What solutions are you guys in consideration of for legacy content?
6: Well, the uh, the intention is for all the Atmos tools and the delivery mechanisms, True HD, DD Plus, and our future codecs, all to be legacy compatible, so that in the consumer space, when it hits that consumer gear, that you might not have Atmos capabilities, you can get can playback and um, in the professional mixing space, we, the mixing tools that we create, you can, from the Atmos mix, select your 7.1 down mix, 5.1 down mix, and stereo with the choice, if you don't like what you're hearing, to alter the metadata. Um, in terms of the philosophy of Atmos, for us, it's the future of sound. Long live multi-channel, it's dead. <laughs> Atmos is the future of sound for cinema, for television, for broadcast, for games, for VR, for anything that we can imagine. Um, We just moved to our new building in San Francisco in 1275 Market. We built 100 labs and they're all Atmos labs. They're 714 small listening rooms for researchers. They're larger rooms to mimic um, this medium size, about this size for developing the tools. And then we have a 250 seat Atmos theater that we're building that will open up. Uh, so we're well aware of the constraints and the problems and the issues of a different size. And our focus, to, to summarize and, and close it up, is you know, we want Atmos to be ubiquitous and so that we have to have cost down measures. You know, We just got the format up on its legs and now we want to m- provide the tools and the solutions to make it easy and and affordable for everybody to mix an Atmos, whether it's a big studio or, a quite frankly, a bedroom DJ creating an Atmos mix. So
2: I think a a question a lot of people have speaking of tools um, and dealing with immersive sound is, what solutions have you guys considered um, in terms of monitor control and dealing with just the massive amount of signal flow um, and, you know, Blending that into your workflow, so I'd like to start with with you, Tom. Um,
5: f- for my situation, I ended up with uh, uh, a QSC uh, DSP monitor uh, controller, and it was a real simple add-on. I just had a seven-one room um, added on a, a four-channel amp that was controlled, uh, you know, by that controller. Added, uh, you know, the the ceiling speakers. Uh, you know, to the controllers, very, very simple. I mean, just taking it from a, uh, you know, simple editorial and and kind of a uh, Mm pre-dub, you know, mix room in my house, adding those, you know, four top uh, channels and and speakers was, I mean, almost mindless. It really didn't take much to do it. Um, I think the DSP was kind of the key, getting it, you know, somebody in and, and tuning the room Really well, um, you know. Again, it's just like anything else. If you if you spend time, you know, treating your room right and mm-hmm. and you know, balancing the room right, you know, adding the top speakers was almost a no-brainer uh, and very very simple. Uh, and just a matter of of the the speaker placements and and you know, figuring out how, how it was going to translate into the bigger rooms. And I've found a lot of success in just a really really simple setup. Um, not even using a, an RMU, just a local renderer. So it's a software-only uh, type thing that I can, uh, you know, send out all my tracks on, uh, uh, you know, on sends uh, mm-hmm. to the, the the local renderer software, and I essentially can do my entire mix there. Uh, go to the bigger dub stage to to final it out. I'm finding the translation is 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 really wonderful. So it's a it's an extension of what we've already been doing. Mm-hmm. Fix your room. It's a you know. I think it's 18 by 10. It's just a small, small room, and and the stuff that comes out of there is great. Uh, the night and day difference, uh, mixing in there before you know the treatments and, and DSP, uh, you know, balancing, really really changed it. It's again, you know, same thing with you know you put the atmos in there, balance it out, and and off you go, and really really good luck translating. It's just it's it was shocking. How about
2: on your side, Bill?
7: Well, I was just going to say, I was going to ask Mark and um, uh, Tom here that uh, whether... We've we've had some issues on our editorial side with the local renderer because it does use quite a bit of resources within the Pro Tools. And so if you're taking an HDX3 session that's been loaded up on a dub stage and is using tons of tracks, tons of DSP and whatnot, the local renderer just doesn't fit. Uh, have you guys run into that on on your projects much it It doesn't come up that often, but we've been we've been looking for a solution where the renderer could be off of the the initial pro tools much like it is on a dub stage. you know there may be that to come in the future, but that currently is a bit of a workflow uh, bottleneck
4: <laughs> Sound design responsibly
7: um <laughs> Don't we all wish that was true? <laughs> yeah. Now I got I got 80 guys. Now,
4: now here's the thing. Yep. Yeah. Woo! Here we go. Buy it all. <laughs> Plug it in. It's the new iLock Five. It does one million plugins. We got more <laughs> cards and voices than we know what to do with. Come on. Uh, a dear mentor of mine, dear friend Mark Mangini, once said when I was working with him many moons ago. Um, I'm like, wow, Mark. I showed up and I cut this scene. Brought it up to him, and it was hundreds of tra- just. I just went to town. I'd cut probably everything but the kid. Ki- I probably cut the ch- the kitchen sink. He took me aside and he looked at me and he said, "Mark, he goes, it's not about cutting all of this. It, it's not cutting sound. It's cutting the right sound." And 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 I'm going to take this lesson. I took this lesson to heart because it was like, "Mark, you're working. What are you doing? Just find the right sound." That's not as easy as it sounds. And obviously, I went back down. You know, with my tail between my legs, but I came back up finding the right sound. The, re- the reality is, and it's not a diss on anybody because we all do it, including myself. We can load our systems up with so much stuff that we, we break our own purpose. Our purpose is to find the right thing, the right sound. So for, you know, I'm, I'm a Harman guy, he's a QSC guy, but they, both great great pieces of gear and they do a great job when used responsibly. You can still blow this stuff up. You Adobe has an incredible format and a very logically I mean these guys I mean the guys that invented this stuff and girls that invented this stuff are are, are like NASA scientists. This this format is just brilliant, but it's going to have like anything else in life, limitations. So I think I think the first thing we all need to look at when we jump in is understanding the car we're driving. So if it's the smaller rooms that we're talking about, well, yeah, we're not. Don't don't cut twelve hundred sounds and don't have thirteen hundred plugins doing all this denoising and all this stuff. Understand the capabilities of the software products that you can, that you can freeze, that you can commit, you can bounce, etc., 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 and and stay on target. But you know, I'd be Everything has its, these rooms have their limitations. You just have to realize the tools that you're using and use them responsibly.
2: So I guess to touch on to the original question as well from Sony's side of things, <laughs> what are you guys utilizing for you know monitor control and signal processing, and I'm also curious, are you guys utilizing you know the local renderer in terms of your editorial process to prep for the Atmos stages?
8: Um, right, so we we have uh, two two big stages uh, across the way, the uh, Holden and the Novak, and um, for monitoring monitoring purposes and, and routing and all that, we have the big Harrison engines in there, and they're doing all the work, and they work great. Um, and then we've just built a, a very small room, and going back to the the scalability and flexibility of the rooms a, a little bit. Um, down in our small room, in our, our home theater immersive room, we went with a, a truss system, which does allow us the ability to move things. And we also left the uh, the JBL front mains in, behind the screen, so that if we had to go to a bigger, sort of bigger sounding room, we can go back to that. Um, and then back to what Peter said, JBL has come up with great uh, solutions as far as scalability. What Brett was touching on as far, far as uh, what Dolby's on is, is the whole range of, of flexibility. So the manufacturers, I think, are helping us immensely and coming up with great tools. So um, down in the small room for, for monitoring switching, we're using um, a DAD and BSS solution. And uh, for a room like that, it works. It's, it's beautiful. It's elegant. Um, it's digital the whole way through, all the way through to the, uh, to the crown amps. Um, and, it, and it's working great. I mean, it's been online for just less than a month. And uh, it's been rock solid. So we're really happy with that. Um, so uh, that's it. I, I think that. Um, the scalability and flexibility is, is is key to I think designing the room at this point because I, I've heard it come up in conversations today about you know we're we're mixing in these giant rooms and ultimately it's a kid with his phone and and earbuds that maybe how do you mix for that how do you prepare for that there's no way even even scaling uh, speakers you 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 know it's such a wide range as far as the ultimate deliverables um, how we it's tough for all of us to to prepare for that I think um, so outside of uh, and and, and, and uh, mixing responsibility track counts is, is, is uh, well that'll never happen because uh, <laughs> so there's the engineering side and there's a creative side and the Grand Canyon in between. There's never going to, you know, the, you can never tell somebody to cut their tracks. But, uh, you know, ideally we can get to a place where, where we can uh, all work in harmony at some point.
2: And Bill, how about on, on Formosa's? Um, in Formosa's rooms, are you guys utilizing Qusis, BSS, the Dad? We've been uh, we've been mostly solutions? using
7: BSS systems. Okay. Um, we you know, one of the one of the interesting things is especially when you're building a smaller room and you have to monitor a whole lot of different sources, mm-hmm. you do get into problems with sample rates. Uh, you know, you can build a room with a lot of cool RedNet stuff and a whole bunch of control and whatnot. But you do have to be conscious that you're going to have a whole, perhaps, a whole bunch of sources. For instance, we have some uh, gaming rooms where we have a Pro Tools, we have a Nuendo system, and we have a Marantz receiver that's decoding games from it. Well, there's no way to really sample. You either have to do sample rate convert, you have to use analog, you have to do some kind of buffering from your monitor system. And you have to be cognizant of your monitor system. Like in the BSS environment, it's not like you just flip a switch in the room and everything goes to 96k, you would have to load a new template. And if you're tuning your room through that template, that means when you're tuning your room, you have to tune it at 48k and maybe 441 and 96k and translate things in and out. So these considerations when you're creating a monitoring environment in, with these tools is something that comes into play.
10: Mm-hmm.
3: Might, might I say that the DSP, select a brand, is probably one of the more important things to have in this chain, and uh, there's, it might sound obvious, but uh, between the, and I've programmed on most of these, and so they've all got their little, you know, little differences in programming, et cetera. On the other hand, you need that facility to create the environment and do the equalization and delays and crossovers, yeah. etc., And you need somebody who knows how to do that. Now, in, in, uh, in my case, I'm the person who designs the rooms and then I'm the bookend on it where I go in and I tune the systems. So I'm the one that gets to see how much EQ is necessary to make these things work. Uh, what kinds of corrections do I need to make this set of acoustics work? And so I get the chance to learn from that and apply it to the next one. So it, back to the topic of large, small, medium, uh, immersive rooms, The and I started at the beginning to say that um, it's an age-old problem translating from big room to small room and back, and... Uh, But um, there are some differences with immersive as opposed to the 5.1, 7.1 of of, uh, legacy products. So what I am finding is that rooms are starting to get a little deader. We used to be able to survive a little bit of reverb time and still do a, a, you know, a, a standard 5.1 mix or 7.1 mix. Now we've got a lot of different channels. In, and in the case of Mark's rooms, we went for a little bit deader throughout and a little lesser reverb time, especially mid-range on up. And I think that, you know in keeping with our topic here, I feel like that was really important. Uh, An important learning thing in getting into immersive sound is do we build these rooms? Do we build the same sort of dampening into the walls? Do we build the same sort of reverb times into them? No, we're not. We're making them deader. And I believe that's probably making the small room versus the large room closer together is to so, deaden them more. So I saw a
2: lot of nodding going yeah. down the line when you yeah, made yeah. that point. Yeah. Yeah, I'm that curious, works. for those of you on the panel, um, both who just have maybe you know, one room or a few rooms, or those of you who have built you know, smaller rooms and bigger rooms, is that something you found when you have you know, so many sound sources in terms of channel counts? Uh, do you really have to plan for that acoustically in order to you know, be able to localize
7: well, I, th- I think there's a couple things here. Number one, yes, over the years, the rooms have been getting deader and deader. And I think, especially in the small room environment, people have liked fairly dead environments. It helps somewhat to get a more theatrical feel. You're basically hearing the loudspeakers. When the room is tuned with good frequency response, You, the room kind of is taken out of the equation to a large degree. I think the other thing that everybody who's getting into immersive mixing should spend a little time is a little bit of research into psychoacoustics, because psychoacoustics plays a huge role in all this. How many point sources can I identify at one time in a room? What do the acoustics of the room do to that identification? You know, when sound, you know, you, were, you, were trained for millions of years to look for the tiger coming from us at this direction, you know, and now we're trying to listen to sounds that are behind us. A dead room basically makes it easier to hear those sounds, makes it easier to localize. There's a reason in a Atmos system why there's so many speakers, especially in the rear view. It's the only way that you can hear localization at all behind you. If your room is ex- extra live, you're going to be getting reflections all over the place. You're not going to have a clue what's going on overhead or behind you. In fact, overhead is really a problem because you, you can't localize it that well. When you have motion and single... You know, if there's a bullet ricco going over your head by itself, pretty easy. When there's 150 bullet rico's going over your head and tanks going back and forth behind you, you can't really localize that. So building a dead room does help that a little bit. It gives you a, a fighting chance at, at hearing that localization.
2: Neat, is that something you
8: found at Sony, the the large rooms, the large
2: stages versus yeah, the small absolutely.
8: stages? I, you know, at some point, physics is physics, and you, you <sighs> can't change it, and so... Um, Just pure distance between speakers and giving giving the room a chance to breathe, and then taking all that and compacting it to a very small space um, is kind of tough. Fortunately, um, the the engineers at Dolby and 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 the other companies um, understand the the psychoacoustics about it uh, as well, and 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 scale it down to. down to something that's translatable and workable. However, again, with the physical constraints, um, dead rooms help because you do, yeah, you know, going back to psychoacoustics, if the tiger's sneaking up behind you, you're dead, mm-hmm. you know? But uh, it, it's, it does help, having a dead room, it, it does help to um, identify where speakers, I mean, sounds are are moving as, as the mixers are panning through things. Um, it definitely makes it tighter and translates better.
3: Let me also say that in the design of the sidewalls and the ceilings of the immersive rooms were... In in times past, we were trying to take the screen speakers and focus those on the audience, so we had certain panelizations of acoustics in the sidewalls and ceilings, so that we protected these. Now, we have lots of speakers on the side, we have speakers going down, so the acoustics have changed the spaces that we pay attention to in a room and uh and now with speaker placement also where the doors are because <laughs> sometimes that's where the door is where a speaker should go etc so i'm always confused with that we we inherit well we inherit a given space to build a, a studio or build a stage in and sometimes just the doors and the entryways and the it's just not appropriate so we compromise a lot.
4: When it, yeah, it, the design design is totally I, I think is totally changed from where it was to where it is. I mean, I've always as a mixer, I've always enjoyed. I like personally mixing in a drier, deader room because it makes me mix harder. I mean, I have to work harder. Uh, it's when you go into a very live arena and you're working on ADR and you have all that. Nice, warm, and fuzzy of sometimes a second of, of of ambience flowing through the uh, the room. It makes you know you look better in front of the client. But with a more sterile, more drier, more tighter room, you're forced to really make that match match work. And it's right. I mean, it, your localization. All of a sudden, all everything begins to appear as as it's said and done. I also think that the other thing that has happened is it used to be church and state, and call it whatever you want. You had your theatrical stuff, your movie stuff and then you had your mu- music stuff. And I I was in the music business for a long time and I went into making all this crazy stuff for movement on screen. But the one thing the products never really connected. It was like, oh, I'm a music guy or I'm I'm a, you know, sound supervisor, mixer, re-recording mixer guy. And we use this and well we use that. And what I found these the theatrical stuff is really designed for large it was designed for large theaters so it's really hard when i did my first stage which was affectionately called the barn up in shadow hills it was really difficult to take all these big components and park it into a small a room a small arena it worked it it was it was pretty pretty awesome but it was very frustrating because it just eyesores on the wall and size and all that so when i started on the the new project uh i am in creative it was easy for the big room because big components fit in big rooms that's no problem then we had the medium room and I had the smaller room and i was getting advice well you should do this and it's gonna look weird but we and i'm like so I talked to Peter over here, and I, I'm you know I'm this not an, I'm not an endorsement deal or anything like that. I just look for stuff that works for me, and I like I like the Harman product, and I knew about the the 700 series, the 708s were out in the market, but it was a music speaker. And actually, a couple of my buddy, my music editor friends, are going, "My God, you got to hear this speaker! It's awesome! It's got low end for days." And I'm like, "Okay, great. I listened to it, and wow, the imagery was great. It's like, wow, this is amazing. The bottom end's great." Why can't I make a why can't I make an Atmos room with this speaker? And to tell you the truth, when I first said that, I got yelled at. I won't put your names out there, but I got yelled at for saying, that's a music speaker. And I'm saying, no, it's a good speaker. And it works for the space because it'll carry the SPL that it needs to to hit my my spot and my client's spot, and it'll work, right? Right, but it's a music speaker. So we have to really define and start saying, hey. What works works let's not in, let's not con ourselves out of out of this let's not get into our own heads and say well it's it's a rose not a not a tulip and it's like it's a flower there the cool thing that's happening now is that we have the technology and we have an arena for the large venues and these system these systems work for the large venues and you have stuff that work for the smaller venues and it's like and don't 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 be misled about, oh, it's a music speaker or, oh, it's a cinema speaker. It's a speaker. And if it fits and works for your ears, it's the right speaker.
2: Would you say you guys have seen that to be true, uh, Peter, at JBL in terms of the 7 Series? I mean, it's obviously been a a huge hit, I think, on the immersive sound side.
9: It's doing very well for us. Um, Actually, we went into this project with a concept, and the concept was that, first of all, you know, to Mark's point, a music speaker versus a cinema speaker, we, we believe at JBL that a good speaker in a, in a room where it's behaving properly sounds like another good speaker in another room. So in other words, our cinema speakers and our studio monitors, which is really what we're talking about, do translate because they're both good speakers. And the key, without getting too technical, the key to that is um, <clears throat> directionality, directivity of the speaker meaning that if you design a speaker that has uniform directivity from the highest frequencies all the way through the crossover, all the way down, it will fill the room neutrally with sound and therefore different places in the room and room to room, you're going to hear more of the same thing. That having been said, the room is in control in the low frequency area and that's probably, for these small and medium rooms, that's the most difficult thing I think to tackle. Um, you know, we can certainly deaden an, an environment and and take care of mid and high frequencies, but if the speaker is well behaved, if the speaker is properly designed, really it's gonna it, it's gonna be very predictable in a, in a range of spaces. But the place that you really there's no simple answer for it, and, and Jerry can tell you um, is the low end, meaning. Uh, You stand one place in a room and you hear tons of bass. You stand in another place in the room and you hear no bass. In a well-designed room, Bob is here, Bob Margalef, who uh, engineered and produced all of Stevie Wonder's records through, I think, his final 16-track album. Yeah, it was the 70s. We were in a very small room at the record plant, and it was a remarkable room in that it was very well behaved, and Bob actually told me that the whole area above the control room was bass trap. Bass trap, we didn't know what bass trap was. It was hanging pieces of stuff with fiberglass on it. Jerry would cringe now and say, God, you are probably sucking everything out at 500 hertz or 250 or whatever. But the bottom line is you could go into that room and you could mix a record and know that the low end was going to be right everywhere else. And we find that that's the that's the biggest struggle. But I do want to just say one other thing which is if we're talking about immersive audio, we're talking about putting a lot more speakers in a small room. Where are you going to put them all? How are you going to power them? How are you going to mount them? What are they going to block in the broadcast environment? There are displays everywhere and you know, they don't they don't care about the speakers even though ultimately it's all about the speakers. So We realized that the speakers needed to be small, and the main point is that they're going to be used at a greater working distance. So by the time you take any of the existing small speakers and put them where they need to be, they don't have enough output. Um, Many of the speakers, including our earlier speakers, have limiting in them to protect the drivers and by the time you start to take a speaker that was intended for a near field application, two feet, three feet away, and you put it 10 feet up for four meters, right? Um, that speaker is well into compression. In other words, limiters are, hopefully there are limiters in there to keep the thing from blowing up. So we started with a design uh, for transducers that could fit in very tiny boxes and generate a huge amount of output not loud. We're talking about dynamic range, and so if you use that speaker at a reasonable distance, you're going to get the 105 uh, in the Dolby spec. So that's so real, that's really important.
2: Real quick, uh, it looks like we have time for one more question. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to you know kind of dive into uh, more of the technical side of signal flow in your facilities, whether it's small medium or large you know are you guys utilizing dante in the smaller rooms um how are you exchanging you know information uh, throughout your facility if it's a bigger facility um so let's let's
8: start at the the far end with nate um yeah definitely uh in the smaller rooms we're using dante uh, to to blue link um mm-hmm. uh, and, and maddie maddie from the uh, pro tools uh, themselves and that's that whole path is pretty solid, I think. Um, uh, as far as the, the bigger rooms go, um, uh, I, I think that um, we're still using the, the, that back end, the, the, the Dante to Blue Link in the big rooms as well. And Have you seen uh, sort of uh, the use of dubbers or re-recorders uh, sort of scale
2: as the track count has obviously scaled?
8: Uh, yeah, everything. I everything, mean, everything's sort of growing exponentially, and um, I think that uh, now that we're, uh, um, I was going to make an old Sony joke, but <laughs> I don't think I will. It's okay. <laughs> How about uh, you, Bill?
2: <laughs>
7: uh, whether it's a small room or the biggest rooms, we're we're heavily into RedNet at this point mm-hmm. uh, as our as a solution. It just is relatively inexpensive. Uh, considering the power of the matrix that's inside of it, uh, it gets us. It scales up incredibly well from a small dubbing stage. I mean, a small editorial environment where you're just trying to get a lot of gazintas and gazautas so that you can monitor what's going on to a television room to a dubbing stage. It's just a great way to route things, and we've been using the uh, H32Rs um, interfaces on the Pro Tools, and it just works great. Uh, rather than, you know, we basically bailed on MADI and MADI interfaces and MADI routers completely. At so are point. you
2: guys utilizing the D64 uh, to go from Dante to MADI then to get into like an RMU or? Yeah, that's
7: it. When, when you, if you're using RMU, that's exactly what you have to do. Yeah, you just have to convert back to MADI when you need to and back out again. And we've, you know... We've used the, and the, the rednet MADI interfaces to just get out to other I.O. You know, when you, when you build into an older dub stage and you have some infrastructure, like out at uh, foremost of Santa Monica, the old POP, we have a bunch of old AMS racks with the monitors and everything hooked up to it. So it was like, great, put a rednet uh, MADI on there and hook into it and don't change the patch base, don't change anything, and you're off to the races.
2: And how about you, Tom?
5: Uh, just keeping it really simple, um, software only. Yeah, you're so just going right, that's How you read? Yeah, doing all uh, your prance the, stems. Well, I'm end up on you know other stages to to final out going into an RMU. Um, so I haven't really had a need to do anything other than just the the simple software base. Um, just going right into my uh, QSE for uh, monitoring, and then crossing fingers hoping that there's a, a software solution on
4: the horizon. Very cool. And Mark, <laughs> that would have been cool. <laughs> um, that'd be real cool. Um, well, I wish it was a software solution. Uh, um, it's not for me yet, um, and I am. Uh, we use uh, uh, the BSSs for EQing. So to get to those guys, um, there's the Dante card, and to get to Dante, there's the Maddie Bridges um, from. Pro Tools which we're mixing in. Now there's there are some solutions, there are some focus right solutions and Dante solutions that are that work. And I'm not gonna lie to you, it we I'd probably say we're probably half and half. Half the all of the whole building has Dante. Um, the big moving, I still feel come more comfortable, a bit more comfortable with the Matty solution. So we use um, uh, direct outs and, and, and a matrix like that. Um, at the end of the day, it's just the products that are coming out. It's how do, how do you get in, how do you get in from, how do you get out of one thing and get it into the other thing? If, if BSS happened to have uh, a Matty, uh, uh, Jared, uh, Peter? <laughs> if you had a Matty card, it would have solved a lot of problems. <laughs> But you made a Dante card. So um, it didn't make more problems. They're both, all, all, all these solutions that we're talking about are, are very eloquent. Um, the, object, the, the downside of it is that you're having to buy multiple, multiple layers of them for all this to work now. But I would hedge my bet that the solutions are just around the corner. It's a good time to get into this because mm. the solutions are just around the corner.
2: So I'm getting the signal that it's time for our Q&A. So,
10: um, so uh, my question is, um, first of all, thank, thank you to all of you. Um, my question is, a lot of these projects that we're talking about, uh, honestly, I'm not going to lie, some of it sounds like Chinese to me. I'm still learning some of this stuff. but. Um, for the guys who don't have tens of thousands of dollars to build these rooms, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to build these uh, elaborate setups. For a person who's working in a much more modest uh, setup, I'm curious to hear uh, for in terms of getting translation out of those rooms, what would you say is the most important thing to focus on, or if you had to choose one thing for somebody on a budget to focus on for a room to be able to get uh, a consistent sound out of it, what would you do? I,
3: I would say <laughs> listen to a lot of familiar product on your new setup. That's the key. If you listen to other people's product, a lot of different movies, Blu-rays, what have you, some friends, other mix that you happen to know that you've seen in the theater, etc., and so that you can hear it in your own facility. Um, the second thing I might say is get uh, the right uh, hardware, <coughs> microphone microphone, RTA software, and do a good tuning. So that A, if you can get it right, you, 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 have, you know where it's at, or B, if you have a mistake in the room, you know where it is. Okay, great, any other questions? Hey, hi, I appreciate Mark a lot, what you're saying about philosophy. Uh, my question is,
4: uh, so I've got a very, very small room. Uh, I've had a lot of success with my five one mix, translating to rooms this size and even bigger. Um, but I'm hearing you guys talk about uh, drying the room out, and I have a pretty dead room, but it's still a little bit alive. My question is, how does how does translation work when there? are th- um, how does the theater component work in that? Aren't they a little bit more semi-live, the theater components in the home theater systems? Don't they have more live things? Is that a consideration when you guys are making these more dead um, mixing rooms? I mean, I, I think you need to, <laughs> No matter what we do, we're not. There's there's no perfect solution. So it's like it's like doing a dub and then premiering it at the old Chinese theater and sitting there and saying it's gonna you know. It, I mean, there's a slap going on there that that you know. Well, it, it's probably an, it's pro- they left the AMS uh, delay on in there or something like that. Uh, you know, it's it, I I to me what's if if you're making great mixes and that sound great to you relative relative wise what i want to we got to learn this term it's rel relative it'll relatively sound great somewhere else but it's not going to sound the same and and i think we have to we have to grow we have to grow some you know make up your 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 word there what i was about to say and 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 explain this to the people that we work from, for and with i mean as filmmakers it's like, you know, does a 70 millimeter print look as good as the stuff that's going to come off a of Blu-ray or something like that? Come on, give me a break. I mean, it, it's just, it, if it's a great shot, it's a it's a great shot. If it's a great sound, if it's a great mix, it's a great mix. I never heard a great mix not sound good everywhere. It just, that's plain and simple. So I, let's, let's, you know, kind of pull our heads out of our tushes and and just say, hey, it's okay. But yes, Jerry said the great thing. Take it out, listen to it in different places. See how it translates. The whole thing is is that this this gig becomes really intimidating when you walk into a room like this, when you walk onto a lot. And it used to be this whole thing about, hey, there were a select few that had the opportunity to mix in rooms like this, to deliver material. Now, it's the wild, wild west. We got streaming from, you name it, scan. And and we're we're making material for for the rest of the world. So, I I I just think that we we just have to, you know, suck it in, take some, you know, learn from learn from our mistakes, which I've made plenty in my time, um, and and just go for it, and let's not don't be intimidated, and don't sit and think that it there's like the perfect way to make a great spaghetti sauce, because there's thousands of ways of making great spaghetti sauce.
3: On, on the other hand, if you wanted to fix your room and modify it a little bit and soak up some of those things, here's what we're finding in the, in the immersive sound rooms is that uh, from ceilings, etc., aren't usually dampened enough when we're talking about deader rooms, et cetera. Perhaps you wanna go put some more absorption in uh, it's the back wave off of some of the ceiling speakers that might be an issue. We're hanging loudspeakers off of sidewalls, the back wave off of those. Maybe that needs a little bit more dampening. Rather than just overall reverb time, you have to consider the the detail of the reverb or where these reflections are coming from to make that reverb. So potentially you could look at your room with a little more... Uh, you're going to find all ac- that out, Ray. Acoustic sort of
5: thing. You're going to so, find all that out when you tune when you tune your room, right? I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So having a good tune, knowing how it's going to translate, that's that's so going to be key.
2: One more question,
5: real quick.
4: And you can't. You yeah, can't no mix way. that way. And and I mean, I I you just can't mix that way. You can't. You can't. We, you know. It's. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So a question over here.
1: Yeah, my question is what Peter started touching on, but I would like to know from Jerry. Um, as far as the mid sized smaller rooms of how you're dealing with the low-end and your approach to that? Big bottoms. <laughs>
3: in in years past, we had the real estate to put in larger base absorbers, etc., and these days uh, the owner is paying for that by the square foot, so it isn't happening as much.
2: Yes. Are you using DSP just for that? Yes.
3: Yes, we're using, I'm using DSP and I'm using oftentimes canceling uh, loudspeakers. That if we do not have, we have an axial mode that's going to be a problem. We don't have any space on the back wall to handle it. So we'll put in subwoofers in its stead.
1: What's your thought on distributing more subs into the room as far as like thinking of each part of the zone and, and more? More of it, subs in the room.
3: There's only a handful of people that would tune your room that would understand how to implement that. But I would suggest as many speakers until your room is smooth.
5: So Jerry, what do you say to people who can't, who have a small room, who can't tune? You know, they can't get rid of the low end or deal with the low end as well. Do you do you do you say don't make your room as dead because you can't deal with the low end or? You say go ahead and make your room dead, but then just know you've got I to deal with. I think when low we're end. talking
3: about dead versus live, we're talking about um, you know about the fourth octave on up, mm-hmm. we're talking about the fourth octave on yeah. down. The first three or four octaves, uh, we're talking about the placement of the subwoofer versus the aspect ratio of your room can make a big difference then After all of the if it's just a one subwoofer inexpensive or you know a a spartan sort of installation then potentially uh, you you of course can EQ for the listening spot and See if you can cure for some of the eigenmode problems but then After all of that, we're right back to what Mark has been saying is just understand what your problem is. Maybe see it on a graph and go C versus C sharp are three dB louder than each other. And when I mix that uh, truck drive by and it kind of has a suck out, don't EQ against it. You know, you, you know where the, your peaks and valleys are in your frequency response.
2: So we have time for one more question.
8: Right over here.
3: Oh dear. Uh,
2: I guess this is a question for all of you. Um, because we're talking about rooms and what, um, can you go and like share what some of your favorite rooms to listen to material in?
8: My room. Mark's room. <laughs> <laughs> Mark's room. My room. <laughs> All right. Think, uh, so, uh,
3: what's your
8: favorite room on this? All of them. Yeah. <laughs> no, the C- the Cary Grant here is is uh, you know it's one of the best rooms I think in the world. Um, it's a great space. It's got plenty of room for wave you know waves to develop. Um, and then even the small room. Again, going back to the whole translating thing, I think that we can take something huge and smash it down, uh, thanks to JBL and, and other manufacturers, um, uh, into small rooms that that that. I don't know what translates the right word, but um, it's still an emotional experience where you're sucked into watching and experiencing a a film. But Cary Grant's a great room.
7: You know, you you can tune a lot of rooms to be perfect on a graph, and they can even look the same on a graph, right? But my favorite rooms have always been around town here, the ones in older stages, ones that are built out of primarily wood and, and those rooms just sing. We used to have, uh, at Tadeo, stage S and stage R over on the old Radford lot. Those rooms just sounded great. They just, they just rang. So did the scoring sk- stage, rest in peace. Um, but um, So I, I almost universally, whenever I'm in one of those rooms, it always just sounds better. It's just, it just resonates.
5: I like to listen to the stage at uh, Tadeo, Tadeo, stage 3 on Seward. Um, but mostly because I know what it's doing. Actually, it's deluxe now.
7: Don't don't say that. Just keep going with the oh, audio. Sorry, sorry. And, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, that was good. Because I know
5: what it's doing. I know what I'm listening to in that room, and I guess that's probably the key for me. Is yeah, you, know, you can listen to rooms; it'll sound nice. But what to me is is I know what I'm hearing in that room, so that's that's why I like to listen.
4: And, and I just like to throw down. You know, in designing a room, i you know I'm. It's all about new school to me now. And it's all about kind of looking at, you know, where Jerry's coming from. There is no magic bullet to make something sound incredible. It's looking at your space, identifying what that space is, modifying that space accordingly, which some of the stuff that Jerry did at IMN was just it was I you know 2 degrees from being crazy, but it you know to for 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 Jerry here I, you know the, the mad scientist made made it it works. and you know it, it's it's like looking at microphones. there are some great I, I, I equate studio building to microphones. There's some incredible vintage microphones that we'd all love and want to have. There's also some incredible new microphone designers that might not have the the tried and true name, but they have a philosophy of making something that sounds beautiful. It's. You know, just realize that. Don't, don't, don't find it yourself. It's not that hard. I mean, if I could do it, you know, trust me, anyone can. Well,
3: let me also say that, for with a couple of truckloads from Home Depot, we can make your room sound good. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is is when you get into the interior design of these places and there's a legacy look to theaters and recording studios etc and everybody expects them to be that way. Well, flat walls, sound is not flat. <laughs> it's multilinear. So potentially the rooms of the future will be multilinears. So uh, before we close things out,
2: I got to say my my favorite room is one Jerry and I actually did for Snoop Dogg, if you ever need to calibrate your sub-channel to <laughs> 120 dB. Um, but yeah, the room has some serious impact and uh, is very cool. So I want to take this opportunity and just say thank you to our panelists. Let's get a round of applause. And uh, Tom.
0: Thanks for tuning in and listening to this exclusive presentation from the 2016 Mix Magazine Sound for Film event. You can hear more conversations with sound designers, composers, and directors on the Soundworks Collection podcast on iTunes and streaming online at soundworkscollection.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Rode Microphones, for sponsoring this podcast series, providing premium audio products at an accessible price, enabling people from around the world to achieve their creative goals. With mics for studio, video recording, and podcasting, you're bound to find the mic you need. To find out more, visit Rode.com.